I don't know if I'm on. I am on. That's good. Well, good morning. My name is Greg Vicaro. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see you all. So we're starting our new series on carols. Did anyone else notice when you walked in this morning that this stage looked very different? Yeah? So we got a couple of people to thank. Yeah? Hold your applause. Hold your applause because I want to tell you who you're going to be thanking. First of all, Jason and Blake uh, worked tirelessly with another team, with a team of volunteers on the, the wood backdrop. So thank you to them. Let's give it up for that team. And then Barb and Ashima and more people that I can count were here decorating with the trees and, and all this stuff. Well, Jason and Blake also, their team made the, the wood stuff. But you guys did an outstanding job. It looks amazing. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. And if you want your house to look like this, all you need to do is call. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but wouldn't it be wonderful if, if this was a free service? We just went to different houses and, uh, and would take care of that. That would be, that would be astounding. Um, so we're starting a, the series on carols for Christmas. And the first one we sang t- today called Oh Holy Night. And it's difficult to say Oh Holy Night and then say today because you want to keep talking about tonight, you know. So if, if you hear me say tonight, I, I mean today. But Oh, holy night. What a, what a night that was. So now for a minute, I'm going to channel my inner Ed. So whenever, whenever Ed gets up here and he's talking about something, what does he do? He gives you the history ad nauseum about, about the carol or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just had to throw that in there. So yeah, when, when Ed gets up, he's going to make fun of me. Um, but did you know when Oh, Holy Night was written? It was written in the mid-1800s. And actually, the history of why it was written was a parish priest asked someone in the town, in in the French town that they lived in, hey, would you write this, would you put Luke 2 and and make it a poem? So this was a French merchant that he asked. Uh, He was kind of a hellraiser, actually, in the town. He did not believe in God, but he was a very good poet. So the priest asked this poet, would you take Luke 2 and would would you make it a would, would you put a story to it? So the poet did that, and he was so astounded with how good it came out that he asked another friend of his who wasn't a believer, didn't go to church, hey, would you put a song to these words? Because there's something special about what just happened here. And uh, so the, the person put songs to these words, and that's how we got O Holy Night. It was written by two people that didn't even believe in God, didn't go to church. What an amazing story, right? So it started to be sung at Christmas time, and it was gaining in popularity. And then some people found out that, wait a minute, do you know the origin of this song? Like, it wasn't even written by people that go to church. These guys were hellraisers, and, and some people wanted to stop singing it, but it was just so popular they, they couldn't stop the movement of, of what it was. So then it went on a number of uh, years later, in the early 1900s, there was a man who invented AM radio, and he was broadcasting the first time ever for a broadcast to be happened. It was out of Massachusetts in 1906, and it was Christmas Eve. So he went, and uh, you know, he started, he, in Morse code, told all the ships that were passing on the lane uh, off the East Coast, hey, there's going to be music coming on. So he, um, he started to read Luke 2, and then after he read Luke 2, the next person that was going to speak got Mike fright, right? He, he just froze. So this guy didn't know what to do because he was, this other guy was supposed to be speaking. So he picks up his violin and he starts to play his favorite song, which is O Holy Night. So it was not only, you know, such a popular thing in the mid-1800s, but it was the first song that was ever played uh, on AM radio. So just a little trivia for you there. Um, but Luke 2 is an amazing set of scriptures, and, and I'm not going to read it all for you today. 
But if you've never read the Christmas story out of the Bible, you would love to go home this afternoon and just open up to Luke 2. I'll tell you, on a Sunday morning, um, actually not a Sunday morning, but Christmas morning, what we do in my family is I kind of torture my kids a little bit, but we, we all come downstairs and before we open presents, I'm like, all right, everyone's going to take a couple of verses and we kind of go around the, the whole room and the kids are like, the presents are there. No, you want me to read Luke 2? But we spend some time remembering why are we celebrating Christmas, right? Why, why are we actually doing this? Why do we give presents? But it's, there's something amazing when you go back into the Christmas story and, and you even look at the lyrics of O Holy Night. And you know, I, I just look at this and I say, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining the night of our, of our dear Savior's birth. And I don't know how you like to remember Christmas, but you may have noticed this one um, backdrop that was not really in place. I brought this from my home because it's always a special time. Oh, my legs are coming up hard here. It's always a special time when you get to set up a manger scene, right? Now, if you look at this manger scene, you might see someone missing. So truth in advertising, I forgot Joseph at home, all right? But you've got, you got Mary and you have the baby. Joseph is, is uh, he's an absent father. No, he wasn't an absent father. He was, well, he wasn't the father. It was God, right? Um, but, and God was there. So we're all good. Yeah, but you have all the different pieces. And maybe when you were little, you, you used to like to set up the manger scene. And you kind of, what, you, in your imagination, you put yourself into that night and what it must have been like. And, you know, whatever would it sound like to hear the cows lowing, right? I, I don't know, when you, when you sing that in a carol, the cows lowing, is that them mooing? Is that what it means, right? Lowing, mooing? I don't know. Um, but it just, when I would set it up, it would just seem so peaceful to me to, to look at the whole manger scene and this is what Christmas is like. And then I grew up and I got married, and I had a, you know, my wife was having our first child. And women, you know, if you've had, if you've gone through childbirth and you've had no medicine to help you with that, would you consider that a peaceful time? No, it, it was really not very peaceful for us when we gave birth to our first. So, you know, very short story, we're living in Lowell, Massachusetts in transitional housing. And we were so afraid that we would start the trek up. We were going to have the baby, our, our first, in, at CMC. We were afraid that we'd get all the way up here and they'd send us home. So Meg was like, we're going to wait and make sure. And we're walking and I'm timing. And, you know, it was probably way too regular by the time we decided, okay, I should leave and drive a half an hour to go take the dog to my friend. So I drive a half an hour there, half an hour back, come back. And now Meg is like, you know, over the table every couple of minutes. So we get in the car from Lowell and we drive to, to CMC. And we walk in and, you know, they got to hook you all up and, and do the, you're at eight centimeters. Oh my gosh, like, why did you wait so long? The doctor's not here and they're paging the doctor and it's just chaotic. And then the baby comes. And you know what? What could it have been like that night when you've got a, a new mom, a new dad? I mean, my midwife saved my life that night. She was just the, not mine, but Meg's midwife. She was the most amazing person like, I will never go through, well, I won't go through it again, I hope, but um, it was just so incredible to have someone knowledgeable there with you that didn't leave your side. The doctor, he just showed up to catch. He didn't do a whole lot. Um, but the midwife, she was there. The nurses were incredible. There was no midwife with Mary. It was her and Joseph and the Holy Spirit. What a holy night that was. You know, when we sang the verse, fall on your knees, I'm like, it's, I don't know that I could even stay standing. You don't have to tell me to fall down. <laughs> like when I see the miracle of the birth of God come to earth, I just want to drop to my knees because I'm so overcome with emotion and so overcome by his presence. 
But it's an amazing story that we, we see not only in Luke, but we experience and we have the ability to experience every year as we go through it. So, so two morals to the story of, of the birth of my firstborn. One, I would say this, I, I don't think I've ever felt closer to God than at that moment, right? And, and then the second thing is, I've never felt more like Meg is my hero than I did on that day um, because she, she was an amazing, an amazing person to do that, like, like all moms are that, that go through childbirth. Um, so there's a, a verse here or a, a line here that I just want to pull out to you. And it says this, the thrill of hope, right in the middle, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You know, so there's two words there, w- weary world. Don't you feel at times like this world is just going at a faster and faster pace and we're growing weary for it? You know, there was a time when I was working in a high-tech industry, and, and man, we had to keep improving year over year and get more done with less people. And the rat race was just, you felt like you were running faster and faster, and when is it all going to end? And, and maybe you're here today where you feel like, okay, this, this is a weary world that I'm living in. But it says there's a thrill of hope that causes the weary world to rejoice. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning. What does it look like to have the thrill of hope? You know, there's something that happened in the middle of the night. Hope was born, right? Jesus came and he was our hope. Hope was born in the middle of the night. And, and I just love everything about that, that, that we can focus on a new and glorious morn because hope came to us in the middle of the night. So there's no better way that I think we can focus on this than to pull out some, some truths out of Lamentations 3, verses 20 to 26. So let me just tell you, what is the book of Lamentations about if you've never read it? It's a book in the Old Testament, and it's the prophet Jeremiah, and he's actually lamenting. He is groaning, and he is just wallowing in all the tragedy that has happened to, to the Jewish nation. So they've been overtaken. Jerusalem has fallen in 586 B.C., And Jeremiah is lamenting, he's whining, he's hurting with everyone else. And he pours his heart out, he pours his hurt out in this book of Lamentations. But something changes around chapter 3, verse 20, where Jeremiah starts on a different track. And he goes, I well remember them. So what is he remembering? He's remembering the disappointment. He's remembering the torment, the agony, and the pain that Jerusalem has gone through. He goes, I well remember all of this. My soul is downcast within me. You know, I think if you walked up to Jeremiah that day and you said, Jeremiah, how you doing, buddy? He wouldn't say fine. He'd say, my soul is downcast. Like he was, he was not hiding his head in the sand of, of the reality that was happening to Jerusalem, that they had been overtaken and Jerusalem had fallen. But then he says in 21, yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. So what is he calling to mind? He, Jeremiah was a prophet. He knows God. But you know, at that moment, God seemed very far from Jeremiah. It was like God was way, way beyond the back burner. And Jeremiah is saying, this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope because I know the Lord's great love. And we are not concerned for his compassions never fail. Jeremiah knew that. It had just fallen well into the distance of his memory. And he pulled it out. He intentionally said, this I call. Because of God's great love, I'm not consumed. His compassions never fail. Do some, of, do some of us feel consumed today by the weary world? Right? Jeremiah, that's, where he was, that's why he was lamenting. But he goes, this I know. I don't have to be consumed for God's compassions never fail. Verse 23, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Aren't you glad that today when you woke up, you woke up to a brand new set of God's mercy and compassion? 
It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, what you did last week. You woke up and you wake up every day to a brand new set of compassion and mercy from God. And then he says in 24, I say to who? To the world? No, Jeremiah is saying to himself. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of our Lord. Just an amazing set of verses. So we're going to pull three truths out of these verses. So the first one I I want to start with is a new day with Christ brings exactly what we need. And I take this out of verse 24 where he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. You know, now growing up, many of you know I was the youngest of eight kids. We didn't get to just pick what we wanted to eat. My mom would always serve us all. Because if she didn't serve us, there probably wouldn't be any left by the time it got all the way around the table. So we would pass our plates to her, and she would, okay, you're older, you get a little more. You're younger, you get a little less. My dad always got the most, you know. And, and it was a portion based on your size in the family, right? So what does it look like to say God is our portion? The Lord is my portion, Is that a big helping? Is that a little helping? You know, I I think back to a time, and scholars will say that this scripture is referring back to Israel when they were in the wilderness, and they didn't have any food. And God did what? He provided manna for them. It was a portion for them every day. Manna was like this this substance that fell from heaven, and and it it settled on the ground like a dew, and it was maybe like a cake, you know, that... that, uh, um, almost like a wheat germ cake. I don't want to make it sound like it's dessert, right? This was their food. But it would settle down and God provided enough for what everyone needed. And he gave them the portion. He said, hey, if you're one, gather this much. If you're two, gather, gather double and, and etc." But only gather what you need for the day. Because you know what happened if they felt like they were going to, you know, wow, today I'm really hungry. I'm going to get more. And they didn't need it. It spoiled as soon as it crossed into the next day. Because God wanted them to recognize he had what they needed for that day. Right? And, and for us to believe that God is our portion, we kind of have to be like those Israelites to know that God has provided everything that you need for today. That's the most amazing thing, that a day with Christ brings exactly what we need. He even knew that on the Sabbath, the Jewish people, they didn't go out to do work. So the day before the Sabbath, God said, collect twice as much. And there was enough for everyone. And then as soon as everyone had taken what they needed, the, the, the dew or the manna just kind of evaporated and it was gone. So God provided exactly what they needed. And the most amazing thing about God is that he not only provided what they needed for the day, God was already in there tomorrow because God's eternal, right? So, so what do we find in, in uh, the Gospels? Jesus says this, you don't need to worry about tomorrow because I've taken care of it, right? And, and he's provided the portion we need for today that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. God says, only worry about today. Trust me for today. Let me worry about tomorrow, So the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. Okay, how many of you would realize and agree with me, God is your portion? Okay, so we see a bunch of hands. Now, put your hands down. How many would say you know how to wait for the Lord to be your portion? Yeah, much much fewer hands go up on this one, right? Because I can say, God, you're my portion. It's like a theoretical head knowledge belief. But now you want me to wait for that? Ugh. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to say, God, I I know that you're here. I know you've provided what I need for today, but now you want me to wait. I want to do, I want to go, I want to be. And God's like, no, just just stay with me. Just wait, just be quiet for a moment. 
And boy, that's, that's a hard thing to know that Christ brings us exactly what we need, but sometimes the when we need it, we think it's today. We want it right now. But God's working something eternal in us, and he delays on purpose at times because he knows that that's the only way I'm going to work in with you, on the inside of you, to go from your head to your heart. All that I have for you, it's, so it is today he provides us the grace we need, but maybe the answer we're looking for isn't today. Maybe it's tomorrow or the next day. But I'm telling you this, God, a new day with Christ brings exactly what we need. He is always there for us. Um, his reality, his strength, his presence, his goodness. So we can all say to God today, God, you are my portion and I will wait because I know who you are. I trust in your faithfulness. I trust in your goodness, your unfailing love towards me. That's the God that we serve. So that's the first truth. A new day with Christ brings exactly what we need. So now let me bring the second truth in verse 25. A new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going. So the Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. That's Lamentations 3.25. Boy, that ministers to me, right? That God is good to those who hope with him. God gives me the hope to keep going. You know, and I think it's interesting. When we talk about hope, you may have heard that as human beings, we can last maybe about 40 days with no food, right? How many days do you think you can last with no water? Three days with no water. How long do you think you can last without hope? You know what? Not long. Not long at all. Much less than three days. When you lose all hope, that's when you drown, right? Other than that, you're still fighting in the water because, no, I, I got something to live for. Oh, when you give up, it's seconds. It takes Right? So hope is something that we all need. Now, who brings us the hope? A new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going. Right? I believe there's many of us that are trying to survive with little to no hope. And we're finding that we are living in a weary world. And it's very challenging for us to go from day to day in this almost hopeless state. And you know, we're not alone. There is a world around us that would not speak hope to us either. Right? It would tell us about the stock market and our finances and, and this happening and that happening. It's so easy, isn't it, to focus on what we don't have. You know, just the other day I was talking to my son at school and I'm like, so Dave, how's it going? And he's like, oh, dad, I got a test on Monday. I got an exam Tuesday. I got a project Wednesday, a paper Thursday, another test. He was losing hope. I'm like, Dave, you know what? Here's the good news, right? God not only has hope, he said, you only got to worry about today. Now, I believe you worry about today, but you also plan for tomorrow. It's not a bad thing to schedule out your time, right, and to plan. So kids, if you've got tests next week, don't say, I'm only worrying about today. I don't have to study. It's not the test day. No, you study now. You plan. You prepare. But God says, I've provided the hope that you need to keep on going. So here's a scripture in Hebrews 24, uh, 10, 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So what allows me to hold on to hope? It's not my ability. You can't hold on to hope because of who you are. Sometimes hope just seems like, oh, the grip, I just don't have it. But we can hold on to hope because of he who promised is faithful, right? God is the one that gives us the hope. God is the one that allows us to hold on. So imagine you're driving down the road and you've got someone in the car that's just trying to yank the wheel and, and take over control. And you're going to not swerve 
unswervingly, you're holding on because it's actually God coming through you that allows you to keep the car going straight. And it's because of the hope that we profess. So I know that for some of us, life is weary. And, and we live in a weary world. We see people around us that are hopeless. But what has God called us to do? God hasn't called us just to be the, uh, you know, to have this hope within us and not let any, uh, let, let any, any others know. We find so often at Christmas time, you, you can divide people into two camps. You've got the camp man. They are all in on Christmas. They love it. Their Christmas music going. And then there's other people. They're devastated by this, this season. Because it just reminds them of all the things they don't have. And it brings back all these awful memories. Bethany and, and Jason, would you come forward? I want you guys to share a little bit about what you do at Christmas. So what is it that we can do at a time like this to share the hope of Jesus Christ? I, I was talking with Bethany and Jason and they mentioned something that their family does. And I'm like, you know what? This is a really practical, um, practical thing I'd love for them to share. So they're just going to take a few minutes and, and share their idea about bringing hope. All right, so about 10 years ago, <clears throat> Jason and I were trying to figure out how do we um, show the love of Jesus Christ and the hope of Jesus in practical ways with our children? How do we be the hands and feet of Jesus in a super practical way that would help them <clears throat> understand? So we came up with this idea to, um, to do some random acts of kindness on Christmas Eve. And, you know, at first um, I didn't really want to do that, but then... Um, we, uh, I read this scripture, I heard this scripture, and it said, let your light shine, basically so that the hope of Jesus Christ can shine through. That's in Matthew 5, 16. And so <clears throat> we started making this list with our kids of uh, random acts of kindness that we can do. So all day Christmas Eve, we go out and, um, you know, we get up in the morning, do our thing, and then we get prepared, and we go out on Christmas Eve, um, and we spend hours doing random acts of kindness. We have pre-written letters um, in cards, and inside the cards um, are messages of hope, the salvation message, messages for people who really need to know that Jesus is um, there and that he is with them. Um, and, you know, I just read you know, we're, we are in a, a world that is so weary and so um, in need of real hope, not just like uh, washed down, watered down hope, but real faith, real hope of Jesus Christ. I read an article in Time Magazine this week, two days ago, and it said that the um, life expectancy rate is down for the third year in a row uh, in the United States, and the two reasons are because of drugs and suicide right? That's staggering. That is staggering. We have all this medical technology and it is down for the third year in a row because people have no hope. So we, um, we get in the car and as we get in the car, we just go and we look for ways that God shows us. And so one of them is we bought a lot of gifts, um, not expensive. It doesn't cost a lot of money. We bought some, some gifts we wrapped them up, labeled them, you know, girls six to eight years old or whatever, and we went into Walmart. My kids were horrified, but we went into Walmart, and we just, like, God, show us who to give these gifts to. We had maybe, like, ten of them. And so <coughs> we would see somebody with a little child or whatever, and we would, like, go up to them and, like, here, and they would just stare at us, like, what's this for? And we're like, we just want you to know Jesus loves you. So one time we went up to this one guy and he had this little girl and she was a little disheveled looking and we handed him the gift and he said, we don't have money for gifts for our children this year. This is such a gift. 
another time, um, we were driving up and down Elm Street. And as we drove up and down, one of our kids said something like, I feel like we are looking for somebody at a bus stop. So we just drove up and down Elm Street looking for anybody at a bus stop. We finally find a woman there, an elderly woman, and they're like, go. And so my kids are like, and Jason are all super awkward about this. They're like, no, I don't want to do it. Mom, go, go. So like Jason pulls the car, you know, like, and they're like, go mom. So I hop out of the car and I go up to this elderly lady in the bus stop sitting, waiting there. And I say to her, I'm like, you know, I just want to give you this. We want, our family wants you to know that Jesus loves you and that there is hope in this season. And she opens it up. Normally I don't stand there, but she, she opened it up and she saw some, a gift card, some money in there. And she said, my husband, she started crying. She said, my husband just passed away and I don't have money for groceries. Right? I mean, come on. The last story I'll share is last year we went through and we um, were driving up and down Elm Street again and we saw a homeless man and he was sitting there and he had all his stuff around him. He's sitting on the ground and we pulled up again. Mom gets kicked out. I go, Mom! <laughs> so I get out of the car and <clears throat> as we go, um, this, I go up to this man and I get right down on his level and I say, hi, sir, how are you doing? And he said, fine. I said, is there anything you need right now? And he takes off his worn and tattered boots. And he said, I looked at his feet. He had no socks on. His feet were bright red, freezing cold. And he said, I could really use a pair of socks. So my family and I, we got back in the car. We drove down the road. We got him some socks. And we came back and gave him some socks and a blanket. These are stories of not very much cost, right? But stories of hope that we have given, not we, right, that Christ has given and that he gives us the opportunity to give. So um, we have this manger. Hi, babe. (laughs) I did this first service and I took so long, so I'm trying to like rush through it now. I'm sorry. So we got this manger this year. Um, I don't even think Jason knows about it yet. No. So I just bought this. We just got it. Um, I'm so excited about it. So that stupid little elf on the shelf, get rid of it, right? I mean, whatever, if you choose to have it. But it's so pointless. It has no hope, right? It's no hope. This little manger has a book that comes with it. It teaches you what to do with your children. When you have this manger, starting December 1st, every single time your kids choose to do a random act of kindness to their own siblings, their own family, to strangers, to whoever, people at school, they pull out a piece of this straw. And when they pull it out, they put it in the manger one at a time for every act of kindness that they do. So that on Christmas morning, before you open your gifts, before you do anything, you place baby Jesus in a full manger that has been made with hope and love through Jesus Christ. So do you want so one of the things we wanted to do is that I've, we've been talking about for a while is trying to encourage other people, if you guys are interested in doing this Christmas Eve, we'll be doing it. Um, we've just done it together, but we've wanted to invite both our home group, but if other home groups or other folks are interested, uh, I think it'd be really fun to have at something that becomes a broader uh, community of people that are um, impacting uh, the city of Manchester and the region. We do it in Concord, actually, most of the time. Um, but I think it'd be a great thing for that to be something that people start to realize, like, what, who are all these people running around being kind on Christmas Eve? I think that'd be uh, a great thing for us to do uh, together. A new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going. Isn't that a great message that we have to share? I I love their idea, and I love that little manger. I I could use that manger. Meg, I made my bed this morning. Do I get to? (laughs) 
I made it for you, actually. I made it for you. It's got to be for her. It can't be for me, right? And then I get to pull out a piece of, of, of hay and put it in the manger. Um, so let's move on. The third truth. A new day with Christ brings the help that we're seeking. So Lamentations 3.26 says this. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of our Lord. You know, there's some of us this morning, we're here, and we need salvation. So I'll ask you, what does salvation look like to you? What's the salvation that you need? You know, for some, it's, I know I'm a sinner, but I don't know this story of Jesus coming as a, as a babe and coming to live on earth and then dying in my place to pay for the price for my forgiveness of sins that I might come into a relationship with him. You may have never heard that story. You may have not known that the little babe in the manger was the same person on the cross that died. That's a story of salvation. That's a story of, of Jesus coming so that we might find life, eternal life in him, and that we would have purpose, purpose to live in a way that we've never lived before, purpose and hope that we've never had, that it would come through that relationship that we have with him. So maybe today is your day of salvation in that way. Maybe you've known God and you've had a relationship with God, but you'd say, you know what? He's not very close to me. He is more on the back burner right now. Well, you know what? Just like Jeremiah called to mind, I'd love for you to call to mind today and say, God, you are my hope. Why have, I, why have my eyes gotten off, off of you and on so many things around me? Why am I focused on, like my son, on his exams and his papers instead of, God, you can give me the presence of mind to know how to plan and, and to know how to accomplish this. There's some of us here this morning that, you know, we are in a, in a weary world and we're sensing that weariness more and more and more. God wants to come and save us from that. And a new day with Christ brings the help that we're seeking. So let me just remind us all of some new days in Christ that I see as I read in the Word. Do you remember the story of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary? So these were brothers and sisters together. They all loved Jesus, and Lazarus died. And before he died, his sisters were reaching out to Jesus saying, Jesus, come because our brother's sick and we need you to come here and heal him. And Jesus delayed on purpose. And it says that by the time he got there, it had been four days since Lazarus was in the tomb. And you can only say this in the King James, but what Mary said to him, or Martha said to him, I believe, Jesus, our brother stinketh. Lazarus stinketh. There's something about stinketh that's worse than stink, isn't it? You know? But Jesus spoke words of hope and said, Lazarus, come forth. And that day, if Lazarus was here, he's like, hey, it's a new day that Christ brings the hope that we're seeking, right? Something, a miracle happened that day. Think about the woman in the Gospels who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had a flow of blood that she couldn't stop. She was seeking doctor's help. She was, she was going to this. And in those days, when you had a flow of blood, you were unclean. So now what does she do with that? She wants to follow God, but she's unclean and she's dealing with this issue of blood for 12 years. And she sees Jesus in the marketplace and she just goes to extend and put her, her hand and touch the hem of his garment. And immediately she's healed. That's Jesus showing up and giving us the hope that we're seeking. Or remember the person that was at the pool of Bethesda. He was the man there. He'd been there for 38 years, lame since birth. It wasn't his parents' sin. It wasn't his sin. But he was still there regardless, lame. And Jesus came, and out of all the beggars that were there that day, Jesus just went up to him. 
And he's like, Jesus, when I, I try to get into the water, when the angel stirs the water because they believed healing would happen at that point in time. But Jesus, I'm never the first one in and someone else gets in the water before me. Jesus goes, rise up and walk. And it didn't need his excuses. It didn't need the, the 38 years and what he'd been through didn't matter anymore because Jesus just took him by the hand and raised him up to walk. It's amazing when a new day with Christ can bring the help with their, that we're seeking. But it says it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So what is that salvation that we need? Maybe there's a struggle that you're facing and you're like, God, I want today to be the day. But you know what? That man's testimony took 38 years in the making. The woman's testimony took 12 years in the making. For Lazarus, it was four days in the tomb. I don't know what's the time frame that God comes with the salvation to the situation that you're facing. But I do know this, that that day is coming where Jesus is alive. And, and no matter if you find it today, the hope is still there for you today to believe that God has given you the portion that you need for today. And God, he also has your tomorrow, that we can wait quietly for the salvation of our Lord. So I, I think back to this scripture, the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. Fall on your knees. Right? There's something that compels me when I understand that yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Morning always comes, doesn't it? And I, and I don't know why, but with childbirth, it seems that most babies are born during the middle of the night. Jesus was born in the middle of the night. And I think there's a message for us in that, that in the middle of your night, in the middle of your weary world, in the middle of whatever you're facing, Jesus comes, hope comes. Not when the sun is shining is bright, is bright and, and you're all happy, but Jesus comes right when you need him most. He's there for all of, all of us, right? The, the babe in the manger came in the middle of the night. And there's a thrill of hope when I can recognize that. There's, there's something that fills my life with his light. You know, we talked about the darkness trembling. I'd go one step beyond darkness trembling. Just turn on the light. Right? As soon as the light comes on, what happens? There is no more darkness, especially the brighter the light is. Right? The darkness just flees the minute the light comes on. And God has light for all of us today. So what is it that you're coming here today with? Right? What is burdening you down in life? I, I want to let you know that all of a sudden, that right in the middle of your weary world, right in the middle of your nighttime, Jesus came and Jesus comes to bring you hope. So we know that because a new day with Christ brings exactly what we need, it may not be what we want, but it's always exactly what we need. A new day with Christ gives us hope to keep going. A new day with Christ brings us the help we're seeking. And I love this scripture in Romans 13. It says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Did you know your salvation? It's, it's here. Jesus is the salvation. Jesus is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. We have hope, saints, that we need to give to, to, to those around us. So let's stand together as we close in prayer. You know, and I recognize that that for some of us, Christmas is an exciting season, but for some of us here, Christmas may not be very exciting. It just reminds us of a lot of what has gone past and, and what we no longer have. So with every eye closed today, if you're here today and you'd say, Greg, I, I want that hope in Jesus. I, I want hope in the middle of my night. 
because I'm walking through the dark right now. It feels like I'm in the middle of the night. If you need hope today, I want to pray especially for you. Would you raise your hand if you're here today and you need hope? Thanks. I see that hand. I see that hand. Hands going up all over. Thank you. You can put your hands down. You know what? We are all here together as a community to believe in God, but also to encourage one another. So I encourage those of you that raised their hands. We're going to pray together now, but if you need prayer after service, please feel free to come forward. There's those of us that would love to encourage you and, and pray specifically for what your need is. But now let's believe God together. Father, I thank you that in the middle of the situations that we're facing, God, you are there for us, Lord. Even though we may be in a season of darkness, God, there's a new day that's coming, Lord. It's as certain as a dawn that, that comes after, after the nighttime. So, Lord, we look to you today to be our hope, Father. We call to mind who you are, God, your faithfulness, that your love and your mercy and your compassion is new for us every morning. And, God, I pray for those that raise their hands specifically, God, that your hope would fill their hearts, that they would feel your love like they've never felt your love before. Would you let the body of Christ come around them and surround them, Lord, and lift them in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we pray for the peace that passes understanding. God, we pray for the wisdom to know what to do in their situations. God, I pray that they can leave tomorrow to you. And Lord, they can receive the portion that you have given them for today, Lord, their daily bread. So we thank you for all these things, Lord Jesus. And we pray them in your name. Amen. If you need prayer, please come up. Please come forward. We'd love to pray with you and have a great day. Please come forward. We'd love to pray with you.